voice is so important is because coming through the season that we have in the last 12 months or more, a lot of us have been finding themselves hopeless. Um, many people have gotten their hearts cold. Many situations where we've kind of drifted away from our walk with God. And we've been in a situation where life hasn't necessarily been spiritually that good for many of us. And so this series has been a reminder uh, to help us really get back on track when it comes to the things of God. So we've been talking about our mandate, uh, turning followers into fully disciples, fully devoted disciples of Christ. And so we are unpacking 10 qualities in this series of how to turn from just merely being a believer to being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And we've been talking about the price of being a disciple. Just to remind you, um, we've been asking this question, we've been encouraging you to ask yourself this question, where am I in my relationship with God? What an important quality question for you to ask yourself as a child of God, where are you? Locate yourself, have the maturity, be brave enough, uh, to ask yourself that question. Be self-aware enough to ask yourself that question. Am I just a believer in Jesus who does the church thing? Every now and then, and as I, and then as I, as as long as nothing else comes up, or am I passionately pursuing what it means to be a fully devoted disciple of Christ? I think that's a very legitimate question for all of us to ask. We define the difference between a believer and a disciple. A believer is someone who gives intellectual assent to the truths of the Bible and may occasionally feel close to God. Many people just give mental assent to God's promises. But disciples are so overwhelmed by those truths and the reality of God that everything in their lives revolves around Jesus. And so that's our goal and our desire by the time this series is over, that you'll be one of those passionate believers where everything about your life revolves around Jesus. We've talked about the first five in the price of being a disciple, passionately committed to Jesus Christ, extraordinary love for God, the heart of a servant, sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit, governed by the authority of God's word. Every one of those are so powerful that'll transform your life. Today, we transition into the last five, and the title of the last portion of the series is The Responsibility of Being a Disciple. Pastor Tom will start today in the first responsibility of being a disciple. He's going to start with number six today. I'll be going next week to give you number seven and so on. But will you please stand to your feet and welcome this mighty man of God, Pastor Tom Keesling. God bless you, Pastor Tom. Pastor, God bless you. You may be seated. For those of you online, welcome today. My name's Tom Keesling. I'm one of the staff pastors here, and we're so glad that you're with us today. I get to do this twice, twice, twice. Everybody say twice, twice. And so today, as we kick off our second half, the responsibility of being a disciple, today we're going to look at the disciple who lives morally pure. We're going to talk about morally pure. Moral purity today, being clean, amen. And so we'll put our takeaway up on the screen as we get started. A disciple lives morally pure in an impure world. I think you would agree with me that we are confronted and surrounded by a world that's gone crazy. And so we need to set our sail and chart our course 
and go against the way the world is going. We are disciples who make a quality decision to live pure in an impure world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have to study your word. We thank you, Father, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we open our heart to you. We open our heart to the word of God, and we thank you that your word will encourage us today. Your word will empower us today to live a life that's pleasing to you, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. A disciple lives morally pure in an impure world. We're going to begin by reading 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5 from the New Living Translation. It says, By God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, Jesus. Aren't you glad that you've come to know Jesus today? The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse 5, in view of all this, Make every effort to respond to God's promises and supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Here the scripture tells us that there's a proper response. Think about this. When God gave his best to us, the least that we can do in response to his love for us is to give him our best. What does it mean to supplement our faith with a generous provision of moral excellence? It means that as believers, we set a high standard for ourselves. We establish firm and clear boundaries in our life. And those standards and boundaries that we set are based on biblical principles. They're based on the Word of God. Setting high standards clear and firm boundaries. That means as disciples, we guard our heart, our eyes, what we allow to come into the eye gate, what we watch, our ears, what we allow to come into our ear gate, what we hear, our mouth, what we allow to come out of our mouth. Hello, somebody. What you say is important. And our physical body controlling our appetites, the flesh. How do we live morally pure in an impure world? Well, first you need to know some things. Thank God we have promises. Exceeding great and precious promises. Amen. They have been given to us. And so let's take a look at some of those promises in Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. If you remember the story of Abraham at Mount Moriah, as he took his son Isaac up to the top of the mount to be sacrificed before the Lord, 
This was a picture of the gospel. This was a picture of what Jesus would do some several hundred years later, right there on the Mount of Moriah. And as Abraham offered up his son, he was ready to plunge the dagger into his son's chest. An angel interfered and stopped him. And God at that point knew that Abraham believed God, that Abraham released his faith. And the Bible says, because he believed God, God counted Abraham as righteous. Listen, here's a powerful truth, a powerful promise that you find throughout the New Testament. God, your father, has declared you righteous. You are the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I that we might be made the righteousness of God. You've got to believe that. God said it in his word. And notice what verse 23 and 24 says. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded in the Bible. It's right there for our benefit, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. How many believers here? How many have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, listen, when you made that decision to accept him, you were born again and God made a declaration over your life. You are righteous. Say, I am righteous. Say this with me. Make it a declaration in your own life. He who knew no sin became sin for me. That I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that's a refrigerator verse. Man, you ought to declare that over your life every day. That you are the righteousness of God. And when you have an awareness of who you are, when you realize that God sees you righteous, then there comes a confidence in your heart to pray. Then there comes a boldness in it. The Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. Doesn't matter what comes your way in your life, you've got boldness because you know God is on your side. If God be for me, who can be against me? Praise God. We are the righteous people. God sees us as righteous. Listen, think about what that means. God sees you just like he sees his son, Jesus. When you pray, when you come into the presence of God, when God sees you praying, he sees his son, Jesus. You're just as righteous as Jesus was. Let that sink into your heart. Amen. The other thing you need to know is this, that sin's power has been broken over your life. We read in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's shouting ground right there. Say, I'm no longer a slave. When you... When Jesus went to the cross, you went to the cross with him. When he was nailed to the cross, you were nailed to the cross with him. Your old life was nailed to that cross. And verse 7 says, for when, we were, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Sin no longer has claim on our lives. Sin has no power over me. Amen. I'm preaching better than your amen and right there. Look at verse 10. 
In Romans chapter 6, verse 10, Paul's talking here now. When he died, when Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, how many know that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father? He's praying for you. He's praying for me. But now that he lives, he lives to the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 11, consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to the past. Consider yourself dead to the old way you used to think and used to live. That part of you has died with Christ. And so notice what it says here, here in bold. It says, consider yourself. Now that word consider, it's an, account, it's an accounting term. It means take inventory. And that's one of the things that happens in our life when we come to know Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit shines the spotlight of his love and his grace upon our life. And all of a sudden, we become aware of things in our life. We have to take inventory. And as we make that list, we have things that please God over here. And we have things that don't please God. Listen, you don't need to have anyone tell you what that inventory list is in your own life. You don't have to tell you that you shouldn't smoke. You, should, you don't need to have anyone tell you that you shouldn't be involved with that person. When I got saved back in 1981, I was 21, 22 years old. And, you know, I had some baggage. Everybody say baggage. baggage. Now, don't preach it. Don't look at me that way. We all have baggage when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember, you know, going to, to prayer meetings and, and man, I, I was smoking my, my Marlboro, you know, I had those in my mouth. I'm smoking them all the time. That was a habit in my life. I was involved in a relationship. It was sexually promiscuous. It wasn't good for my life. I was trying to make changes before I got saved, trying the occult and TM and getting involved in all of that. But when I came to Christ, all of a sudden, the, the spotlight of his love came upon my life. I'll never forget the moment, the time when I was there. In, uh, it was in a second floor apartment in, in Main Street, Massachusetts, right next to a friendly's restaurant. I was invited to a prayer meeting and they sat down and led me to Christ. And I'll never forget sitting there accepting Christ and praying the sinner's prayer. All of a sudden, I felt I was getting a bath. A bath of God's love and God's grace. For the first time in my life, I had never experienced such supernatural love and acceptance in my life. Look, I was unclean. I was dirty. I had things going on in my life that were self-destructive. Hello? I was one of those kind that were looking for a high all the time. So whether it was alcohol, whether it was pot, whether it was pills, I would try it all because I was looking for that high. But when I discovered Jesus, I discovered the high of my life. I discovered true love. I discovered true acceptance. And so that was my story. When God's love shone upon my life, I realized I need to make changes. I want to reciprocate. I want to give him a proper response. After all, if Jesus laid it all down for me, I ought to lay it all down for Jesus. And so I began to lay those things in my life. I remember stacks of LPs, you know, the big back the time when we had the turntables, we had the big LPs and I put a stack of those LPs right on the curbside out in front of the house of my parents' house. I said, I'm not going to listen to that more because when you hear all the words on those songs, you know what it's talking about. 
It's feeding into that crazy lust thing. It's feeding into rebellion and anger. It's feeding into all those things that are displeasing to God. So I realized no one had to tell me to put those records curbside. The spirit of God was dealing with my heart. The light was shining upon me. I wanted to reciprocate after experiencing that love and acceptance. And so I considered my old life dead. It's over. We're putting it to the curbside. We're getting rid of it. Did I, have, did I need someone to come up to me and tell me to do that? No. The Holy Spirit who now lived in me began to shine his love upon me. And I realized I need to live for God. I need to surrender totally to him. Amen. Now, the key to living clean and morally pure can be found in two action words. And I want you to catch these action words. If there's anything you go away with, go away with today these two action words. Number one, resist. And number two, yield. How do you live morally pure in an impure world? You're going to have to learn how to resist and yield. Let's talk about resisting. We are called to resist sin and temptation in our life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Notice there in verse 12 and 13, three times, do not, do not, do not. Do not let sin get the upper hand in your life. Do not let sin control your life. Think about it. God is a loving heavenly father. He doesn't want sin to bring destruction into your life. Sin is like corrosive battery acid. It will destroy everything in your life. It will destroy your own inner confidence. It'll destroy your ability to have intimate, healthy relationships with others. Sin is corrosive, and it, it, it will do you good to put it away out of your life. Three times we see here, do not let sin control you. Do not, let, do not give in to sinful desires, and don't let any part of your body be an instrument for sin. Notice what it says here, instead... Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Aren't you glad for the new life? Aren't you glad for the life of God on the inside of you? Aren't you glad you have a new nature that God put on the inside of your heart? Aren't you glad that there's someone who walks in step with you? His name is the Holy Spirit. He walks with me. He talks with me. He comforts me. He enables me. He's always there ready to help in the time of temptation. Amen. Thank God for the wonderful Holy Spirit. Verse 14, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Hallelujah. Think about this. Where does temptation come from? It comes from within us, and it comes from the world around us. And God says, don't let it get control of your life. Don't let sin establish a stronghold in your life. Master it. Take control of it. Resist it. Amen. How do we tap into the ability to resist? We have to tap into God's grace. 
Where the sin abounds, the Bible says, grace does much more abound. That tells me it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what's gone on in your life, what stronghold is in your life. God's grace is greater than any sin, any challenge that you might deal with in your own personal life. The key is how do we tap into that grace? Well, Paul here gives uh, he begins to give a comparison about living under law and living under grace. If we're going to resist sin, we're going to have to learn to tap in to God's grace. If you try to resist sin in your own ability, you're going to fail. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to find yourself constantly struggling, going through the same cycle over and over again. And Paul the Apostle knew this because he lived under the Old Testament law. And under the Old Testament law, there was no grace. He, didn't, he, he couldn't tap in to that grace. And so Paul here in Romans chapter 7 describes his struggle against sin living under the Old Covenant law. In Romans chapter 7 verse 14, he says, The trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. How many humans we have in the house today? How come you're not raising your hands? Come on now. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 16. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Verse 18. And I know, whoops, skip back. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Now, does that sound like a case of frustration? Absolutely. But notice what the next verse says. Skip down to verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen. Freedom is found in a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. If you are in Christ... That means you're born again, praise God. Then sin has no power over your life. That means destructive habits can be changed. That means addictions and strongholds can be broken. That means that the past can't hold you back. Listen, if you are in a never-ending struggle with sin, then you are not tapping in to God's grace for your life. Every believer has the potential of becoming fully mature. And when a believer becomes fully mature, when we come into what the Bible says, the full stature of Christ, then we emanate holiness in our lives. Holiness is the fruit of righteousness. And the closer you walk to Jesus, the more you become just like him. You begin to carry his presence. You begin to carry his power. And you become holy in the sight of God, and you become holy in the sight of those that are around you. Listen, Jesus took care of the sin problem that was in us. This is how he did it. 
He gave us His Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says to those who are in Christ Jesus, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're dealing with condemnation today, it's not coming from the heart of your Father because He declared you righteous. If you're dealing with condemnation today, it's not coming from Jesus because He spread His arms out wide to die for you. And if, if you're dealing with condemnation today, it's not coming from the Holy Spirit because He's your comforter. Where does condemnation come from? It comes from ourselves. It comes from ourselves and it comes from people around us. Listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin has been dealt with. Someone shout amen. amen. And so verse 2, and because you belong to him, the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Verse 4. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his only son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God the Father solved the sin problem. Amen. He solved the sin problem by sending his son as a sacrifice for you and I. And Jesus as well solved the sin problem in your life and in my life by giving us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells us, he is the one that empowers us to live morally pure in an impure world. We're called to resist. Resist sin and temptation in our life. But we can't do it in our own power. Here's where the other word comes to play. Yield. Everybody say yield. yield. We're to resist sin and temptation, but we can't do it without yielding to the greater one who lives in us, the Holy Spirit. And so Paul talks about this, about yielding to the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It reads, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Death, separation from God's blessings. But let the Spirit control your mind, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to what? Life and peace. I want life and peace in my life. I want rest in my life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. Amen. Amen. But notice this scripture here. Where does temptation begin? Temptation begins right up here. It begins in the mind with a suggestion, a thought. The mind is the battlefield. And the Bible here is telling us that if we will give the Holy Spirit our thoughts then he will begin to control our life. Question, who inspired the authors of the Bible? You can read the Bible uh, from cover to cover. You have 66 books. You have uh, so many different authors written over a span of time, but you have one author. It's the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit inspired men of old to write the scriptures, to pen the scriptures. And that's where we find our absolutes. That's where we find biblical principles. That's where we find divine promises that empower us to live a life clean and pure. So what do we do? We give the Holy Spirit room to minister to us the word of God. Every time you spend time together in the word with the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you scriptures. He's going to give you promises. He's going to give you things to put into your thought life. How do you start yielding to the Holy Spirit in your life? You do it by meditating on the word. Meditate on scripture. Fill your thought life with God's word. That's how you begin to get acquainted to the voice of the Holy Spirit in, our, in your life. By hearing the word of God over and over. Put it in your mind and speak it out of your mouth. Let God establish a stronghold in your thinking. Romans 8 verse 12. It tells us here, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Back up to verse 13, if you would, for just a second. If you live by the dictates of the flesh, you'll die. But notice this. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death. You don't do it in your own strength. You do it with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? You yield to the Holy Spirit. You yield to the Holy Spirit. First by reading the Word, feeding on the Word, filling your thought lives with the Word, and then God gave you a very powerful promise. He gave us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you get a supernatural language, and as you pray in the Holy Spirit, you release spiritual power. God's grace begins to flow in your life. And all of a sudden, you begin to see those things that were hanging on you drop off one by one by one. How does he do it? Well, when you get acclimated to the Holy Spirit, he gives you prompts. He gives you checks. When you're about to do something or say something, and you know it's not quite right, there's a check on the inside of you. Follow that check. When the Holy Spirit is trying to, to, to get you to, to go in a new direction, he puts prompts in your life prompts you to pray, prompts you to read scripture, prompts you to forgive, prompts you to go the extra mile. When he prompts you that way, follow it. The more you follow the checks and prompts of the Holy Spirit, you will grow spiritually and you will find that old sin habits, old destructive habits, old ways of thinking, old ways, uh, old strongholds that have been in your life, perhaps all your adult life, old addictions, all those will come under the control of the Holy Spirit. And they will fall off left one by one by one. And you will find yourself all of a sudden in a place of spiritual maturity. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad you don't have to walk this thing out all by yourself? Aren't you glad God didn't hang a list of, of do's and don'ts over your life? Now, you make sure you, you own up to this. No, he sent the Holy Spirit. He gave us grace. Hallelujah. So that as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we put ourselves in a position to resist sin 
and temptation. You can't do one without the other. If you're going to resist sin, you've got to yield to the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're going to resist temptation in your life, when it comes knocking in your thought life and on your door, you're going to have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. One other thing I need to, to, to really inject in this part is this is something we all have to do. We were never meant to do this all by ourselves. We need a circle of friends. We need a circle of people who are passionate about Jesus. We need a circle of friends that will, that will encourage us. Don't bow. If you bow, you're going to burn. Hello? We need a, a, a circle of friends that will pray with us, that will encourage us to move forward, to press forward in the things of God. Amen? If you find yourself struggling, don't give up. Remember that you have an advocate. His name is Jesus. And you have a family. That family is called International Family Church. And if you fall and if you struggle and if you find yourself going around the mulberry bush, don't get under condemnation because God's not condemning you. Jesus is not condemning you. Holy Spirit's not condemning you. Your pastor's not condemning you. International Family Church is not condemning you. Welcome to the human experience. But don't give up. When you sin, when you make the mess that you make, don't run from Jesus. Run to him. Don't run from your church. Jump back right in to the fold. I like what 1 John 2 says. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. You know, I know in my own personal life as a, as a young adult, back in 1981, 80, 80, 81, 82, I had a circle of friends. I remember going to church and visiting different churches, and I found a place where I had some friends where we could sit down and break out some Kenneth Copeland tapes. I'll never forget one of the first series I bought from Kenneth Copeland was The Forces of the Recreated Human Spirit. And we would get together, and we'd put those tapes in. Anybody remember cassette tapes? Yeah? Uh, we put those cassette tapes in, and we would listen to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, and then we would spend time praying in the Holy Spirit. A lot of times, we'd end up falling asleep, but at least we made the effort. But that was so vital for me. I needed other people just like me that had the same experience but had a passion to move forward in the things of God. Listen, God has some good friends for you right here at International Family Church. International Family Church is filled with a bunch of disciples who are passionate about Jesus, who are resisting sin, who are learning how to yield to the Holy Spirit. And we're all on that same path of spiritual maturity. But if you fail, don't give up. Don't toss in the towel. Run to Jesus. Run to your family. Get close. That's what makes all the difference of the, in the world is being close to Jesus and being close to your family. Father, we thank you for the possibility that you've given to us through grace. That no matter how dark our past was, how difficult it was, what kind of strongholds or addictions were in our life in times past, that, Father, your grace can break all of those things off of our life that we can be totally free and clean and morally pure in a very impure world. 
Father, we make the decision today to resist sin and to yield to the Holy Ghost. To resist sin and to yield to the Holy Ghost. Say, I'm going to resist sin and I'm going to yield to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'd like to extend an invitation for those of you that are watching today, for those of you that are here, whether you're here in the sanctuary or up in the cafe, I want to extend an invitation to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Jesus is our advocate. He will never condemn you. Jesus is the only one that can set you free from the past and from sin. All you have to do is make a first step. Accept him into your life. Make a declaration over your life. Receive him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Do it with a simple prayer. I'll say this prayer. We can all say this prayer here today. Those of you that are watching online, say this prayer with me. Let's pray it together. Mean it with all your heart. Say, God in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I receive the free gift of pardon. Come live in my heart. From this day forward, I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we give it up for those who prayed that prayer for the very first time?